you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lulovich. And Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. And we also have... Katrina Alilovich. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> we figure she can introduce herself these days because she is such a common guest on the show. And we also have... He didn't make noise when on cue, but no. we... <laughs> I tried. I, I left in the space. It will come soon. We have Harry. He's here, kind of sleeping, probably about to wake up. So we'll see how he goes. Yes. Well, it's kind of appropriate that he is with us today because the whole point of today's podcast is to talk about what happens when two becomes three in the sense of what happens when you as a couple decide to add a baby to your life or perhaps another baby to your life. And I mentioned this to Joe before we started recording and she had no idea what I was talking about, but I can't think about when two become three without thinking about the Spice Girls song, <laughs> when two become one. And she doesn't know what it is, maybe was- because I'm younger. <laughs> I was going to say, now you're you're offending the other two people in the room. I know, right? But maybe because of that or maybe because they were an English band. But anyway, someone will know what I'm talking about and they will also be thinking the same as me. But we're not talking about when two become one. We're talking about when two become three. I just had to get that off my chest. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I do know who the the Spice Girls are, but yeah, that, that song never really appeared and I was never a huge fan, so I guess it was all because of that. Let's move swiftly on then. <laughs> so what we want to talk about is the effect that having a baby has on you. And we're not just talking about the fact that it changes your body, but more how does it impact on your relationship with your partner? And so we figured it would be a really great idea to have Katrina with us because she's very helpful when it comes to psychological changes and emotional changes that happen in our lives. So here you are, Kat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this one. Mm, good. So. Lucy and I were prepping for this and we thought maybe we should actually ask the question, how do you know if you're ready in your relationship to even have a baby? Yeah, that's a good question, but I'm not sure that it's it's often one that we talk about if we're ready. In terms of emotionally, I think often we talk about it in terms of whether we're ready financially and you know, other things, you know, perhaps other goals that you've want to achieve, you know, before you have babies. Yeah, people want to go travelling, don't they? That's a common one. Or buy a house or establish themselves in their career, whatever. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that was all me. <laughs> I'm just repeating your life story. <laughs> How do we know if our relationship is ready? Well, I mean, if, we're, if we are well thought out enough to actually be asking this question, I think that some of the things that, you know, in terms of the stresses that come up after you know, having a baby dealt with well when people can handle conflict well. So what's our experience of handling conflict? How do we deal with tension? How do we deal with difference? That's a big one in terms of, um, you know, whether we're ready. Yeah. So should we get a puppy first? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I never wanted to go down that road. I thought if I was going to do all that work, I'd rather have a child. (laughs) Fair enough. We didn't really have to think about it. We had a cat and cats are so independent that it was not the same as a puppy. Like when I talk to people who've got puppies and they're talking about being up at night because it's scratching at the door because it wants to go out for a wee or it's pooed somewhere it shouldn't have and all that sort of stuff, I'm thinking, oh, I didn't even really think about that with a dog. Like who wants to deal with that? 
You mentioned to me the other day about considering getting a puppy instead of a dog. Have you just talked yourself out of it? Well, we are babysitting a dog at the moment who might maybe become ours, but he's three years old. So I've skipped all of that. It's great. Oh, wow. I didn't know that, Joe. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Evan, I think, likes having him around. So we'll see. But anyway, we're not talking about us getting a dog. We've, we've had three kids now and, you know, getting a dog just seems a lot easier. <laughs> so other than getting a puppy, how do we prepare? Okay, so one of the big issues are around values and beliefs. And although, you know, it might seem hard to kind of fathom that we might not really know or have shared values and and beliefs, having a baby will certainly bring those issues of difference to the foreground. And one around parenting, you know, the kind of um, life that you want for your child and the roles that you see as, you know, kind of taking the parent role like mother, father, if that's the makeup of the family. So being clear about values, the sorts of projected uh, future that you see as a family, Mm. even down, you know, you might have some sense of how many kids you want to have. And, you know, for some families we think about having a baby and then we think about having the baby. But for many people there's all the, the stresses that, before actually getting the baby, you know, whether that be miscarriages, not being able to have um, children without IVF. So there's lots of those things. Are we going to even consider have, using IVF if we need to? Or You know, that, all those things often come up and we don't really know what our beliefs are or where we differ until the stresses actually happen. But it's a good idea to, if you can, have those conversations before the baby arrives. I must admit, as you've been saying this, that's what I've been thinking is I had no idea what kind of parent I was going to be until I had Lily. And even still, I have still have no idea what kind of parent I'm going to be because my oldest child is three. I don't know what teenage years look like or, you know, anything else that comes beyond that. So I think that's tricky. So what kind of things do we talk about to try and understand that? Before we've got children, how do we know if we're thinking in a similar way? Well, exploring your experience of, of being um, part of a family is the big one because typically you'll be either at one end of the spectrum. It'll be that you want to repeat the type of experience that you had, maybe with a few tweaks, or you want to completely overhaul and make sure that there is nothing about your experience of being a parent that looks like you know, your, how you were brought up. And sometimes, you know, as a couple, we kind of decide there are no-go areas. And if your experience of being raised in a family was, um, you know, quite different to your partner's, sometimes we kind of decide in an unspoken way what subjects can be talked about or what subjects can be gone into depth. And you can feel like you know each other's stories without actually really knowing a whole lot of detail. And it's not until there's the stressor around that you find out a little bit more. So it's a good opportunity before you have the baby just to be curious about each other and check out any assumptions that you've made about their experience of being raised. It's so interesting. And I think, like you said, Lucy, Lily's only three. So you don't know as she grows what you'll be like with her. And I definitely find that, you know, when someone's a baby, the, the changes that come from having a baby are one thing, but then as they grow and you you have to confront your expectations about the different stages of growth, you know, everything from what schools to send them to, to how we should discipline them and what age we should give them an iPhone or like whatever it is, you know, you've got 
all those questions that sort of come up and, and change things. Kat, what are the common changes that happen to couples when they are joined with a baby? Well, just thinking about the setting, the when we've got a new baby, the sorts of things that are going to be happening are just the the household begins to revolve around the baby yeah. and there's tiredness and typically irritability goes with that on some spectrum. Yeah. And to some extent we're all in the same suit. We're all dealing with those things because whilst each baby is different, there's lots of things about the experience about bringing a baby into a home that are the same. Yeah. So we're not getting enough sleep. We're getting irritable with each other, which probably leads to arguing. Yeah. It's funny. I was just talking to Jay before we hit record about this. And Jack and I have, it was originally an unspoken rule, but became spoken when I questioned it one day. Every now and then we were having days where we were just not really speaking to each other. This was after Harry was born. And I said to him at one point, what's going on? Why aren't we talking to each other? And he said to me, this is for the best. <laughs> Some days we should just not speak to each other because we're so tired that we know we'll just end up fighting. So we just had this unspoken rule and we were both doing it without having really realized that that's what we were doing. We were just not talking to each other because it was the it was for the best. And I say was, I mean, these we still have these days, right? Our child's only three months old. But <laughs> yeah, that's how we yeah. deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great, totally. You know, sometimes the solutions are just those really practical ones. <laughs> How do you stop that becoming the norm? Yeah. You know, they're not talking to each other though. You know, like that would be a real risk, right, that people just disconnect. Yeah, because, look, what doesn't then stop is that those expressions of care and concern and acknowledgement of each other. You're not walking around the house behaving in a way that is disrespectful. So there's still acknowledgement but it's kind of choosing that some of we don't we don't need to talk or there's no point talking about you know a high energy topic or a high tension topic mm -hmm. it's very true we'll not talk to each other but jack will still make my breakfast and bring yeah. me coffee and yeah. do all the nice little things that he does all the time yeah so yes it's not i'm not talking to each other because we hate each other's guts it's not talking yeah. to each other so we don't hate each other's guts <laughs> <laughs> And there's also the fact, I actually wanted to ask the question, mm. do you feel that these changes that happen to couples are worsened when people have more children? Is it something that it's just as bad whether you have one, three, five or ten, or is it something that is potentially emphasised by the more kids that you have? I think having your first child is because it's that you know it's a total new beginning i think there's that going from two to three is a particularly important time because the sorts of things that you might have managed as a couple in terms of the way that you um, manage irritability or you manage conflict or even like managing the other people in your if you're surrounded by or some members of the extended family you know, just some of the accepted ways that you have of managing everything. When there's a baby that's come into play, your tolerance for, for certain people or certain ways of interactions can be a whole lot lessened and then that can result in conflict. So, for example, there may be a mother or a mother-in-law, and I know this might be you know, conforming to some stereotypes, <laughs> but look, if you have a pretty good relationship with your mother, it's not totally uncommon that 
your partner may not have the same, they might tolerate them or there might be niggles. There's things that, you know, without a baby around, you just kind of manage, you know, like you go about doing interactions and family gatherings and whatnot. But as soon as a baby comes into play, there's a whole nother layer of possessiveness, say, that can come in and offence can be taken or um, needing to assert yourself in particular roles. So that's, I think, another thing to be aware of when you think about bringing a baby or, you know, a, a baby comes into a relationship. It's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about the fact that we thought about talking about this in terms of what happens to your own relationship, but what happens to your own relationship is influenced by all the people around you and yeah. what they're doing and saying and, and everything. So they're also changed by the baby. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other changes or other things that we might experience? Well, one of the things that can happen is um, the intimate relationship between partners can kind of be significantly reduced, whether that be affection because everything is poured into the baby and also sex. You know, it's not depending on the birth you had but also just in terms of tiredness and breastfeeding and your interest in having sex may be significantly reduced, but that not, may not be for your partner. And then that desire discrepancy can lead to tensions. And you might have an idea that, you know, my doctors have said for the first six weeks, you know, like you might have this reprieve that the doctors say for the first six weeks, you know. But, <laughs> reprieve. I love it. But sometimes I think that the doctors have said that to, um, you know, just set expectations when in actual fact you can decide physically when you're ready to have sex yourself, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's another big one. It's one of those things we don't talk about, this idea that, you know, you have less sex after you've had kids. And, you know, we've got a whole other episode on things we don't talk about, so maybe we'll have to touch on that again. But the affection side of things is something that's perhaps not talked about as much mm. either, you know, because when I think about affection post having kids, I most think about my kids. I think I'm holding their hands, I'm giving them cuddles, they're sitting on me on the couch reading stories. It's them that you lay down next to when you want them to go to sleep. Like all of that is just beautiful affection that's so unconditional mm. and there is no thought that it's going to lead to, you know, any intimate relationship because that's not the point of that kind of affection with your children. And whereas potentially with your partner you can feel a sense of, well, if I'm affectionate towards them they might want you know, they might then think I want to have sex and I really don't want to have sex and I actually don't need any affection because I'm getting plenty of affection from my kids. So it perpetuates that cycle. Yeah, something really important to be aware of. And it, like you say, Joe, it's something that people don't talk about. So people think I don't feel the same way towards my partner anymore. What's wrong with me? Mm. But it's because we don't talk about it that we don't know that it's very common for people to feel that way. Yeah. And there is that idea, isn't there, that when you have a baby, so much of your attention is on them, especially newborns. Like it's all about the newborn. They're 100% reliant on you. You just don't have the time left over. Yeah, but it's an issue that we need to pay some attention to because if all that cherishing of your baby, that used to be or maybe a portion of that used to be directed um, towards your partner. And with less appreciation, you know, less um, interest, less acknowledgement, 
you know, we're all human. That sense of not being appreciated or not being important, that has an impact on how close you feel. And how, how much do you think having children leads to divorce? Like, are there statistics around that? Oh, dear, that? big question. No, well, well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's where we're heading, right? Like, if you have the baby and then you're not giving the attention to your partner and then they're not appreciated and blah, 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 blah. Is it a big factor? Look, ha- having children is your biggest joy and it's also a fact that it's a stress. Yeah. So, yes, it's going to, you know, have an impact, but it also, it just comes from having the children highlights differences. Mm. So it's our ability to navigate our differences that ensures, you know, whether we're going to have a lasting relationship or a longer term relationship um, than not. So yes, it's just a stressor. I think it's important to recognize though, that it's not all bad. No. (laughs) Having children together can do good things for our relationships. Yeah. Yeah. As Kat said, it's your greatest joy, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, in my case, for example, we have clear shared goals. We probably didn't really before we had children. I mean, we'd kind of already done the things that you're supposed to do. You know, we'd got married, we'd bought a house. It was kind of what's our next shared vision. And children weren't, we weren't at that point yet, but they became the next shared (laughs) vision. But, you know, all of a sudden you're working on something together. Totally. That's one of the ways of making sure that the relationship thrives is having shared values but also that focus on building a legacy like what is the things what are the things that we want to build for the child slash children slash us as a family and then it comes down to and some of these things you might be doing naturally about what are some of the rituals and consistent traditions that we want to put in place because over time that builds up to the kind of legacy that we want to build for our children and our family. So what else do we do? Like when we're experiencing this conflict around our parenting or someone having a higher desire threshold than the other person, what should we be doing? How do we fix it before it becomes a real problem? Which question are we focusing on? Any of them. You take your pick. Which one do you want to start with? (laughs) (laughs) We're relaxed around here. (laughs) So this this stuff comes down to couples' relationship and how to fend off problems to begin with, yeah. So there are four things that are really important to make sure that you avoid as much as possible. I better write this down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're about to have another baby, Jack. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Now I hope I can remember what they are. So criticism, yeah? Yeah. You know, I see couples a lot where, you know, they've had children And one of the issues that gets raised is about how much more criticism is on the table because they're being criticised about how they're doing things. To limit the amount of criticism that becomes part of the relationship. Am I allowed to add to these? Sure. (laughs) Because you're talking about criticism and I'm thinking as well as limiting it, this is really just advice that I'm telling myself, Yeah. is knowing when to take something as criticism and when it's just a conversation. Yeah. Because I think that's really easy to do when we're tired and when we're irritable. If somebody says something to think, oh, you're having a go at me or you're criticizing me, but actually we're just having a conversation or making a point. Okay. So that brings in the second one around defensiveness. Yeah. The high levels of defensiveness are really problematic, you know, yeah. uh, um, for a relationship. Yeah. Sorry for jumping the gun. No, that's great. No, no, yeah. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> onto it. 
<laughs> yeah. So there's there's um, criticism, there's defensiveness, mm-hmm. uh, there's um, stonewalling. So that kind of um, just turning away from each other, not engaging, ignoring, shutting down, yeah. that kind of thing. And then the fourth one is contempt. So those are visible signs that you think the other person is stupid, I guess, or the eye rolling or the look of kind of disgust that might flip over your face when they say something. So those four things, if present to some greater extent, are really problematic. I would imagine by the time someone gets to contempt, it would be hard to come back from that. Contempt is the most significant one, yeah. But it's also important to look for how is that present if in small ways, maybe that kind of joking eye rolling or, you know, there, there he goes again or, you know, that kind of thing. At what point should we get professional help? I think straight up. I think if people became, did groups or, you know, joined with other couples and um, did some groups, you know, maybe met you know, a couple of Saturdays or whatever and just did some prep work, uh, I think it would be great for people, not just leaving, uh, getting professional help until when there are problems. Yeah. Because often when you've got a new baby, those first months can be really intense and really difficult. But also, when are you going to have time to get (laughs) professional help? (laughs) It's just a practical thing. I think there's also that idea of if you do something like groups, it's showing you that there's other people experiencing exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. Uh, But also if you do it before the baby arrives, it's all just normalised. It's Mm. not that we've got a problem. It's about we want to make sure that we're doing the best by each other so that we and the baby can thrive. Yeah. Acknowledging that there's a change coming into your life and you're preparing for the change, kind of like you prepare for birth by attending group sessions. Let's do something about preparing our relationship for the change that's going to happen. How do we convince our partners to do that? Because <laughs> Good question. I, Jo says I'm insightful, but I just think about things a lot. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I would happily have these conversations thinking about things is how I would describe it. Yeah. But I don't know that I could convince my husband that we should go and do this kind of group therapy type thing. His response would be, we don't need to, there's no problem. Yeah, and look, maybe he's right for him, but sometimes can come down to just asking you know we're not doing it because there's a problem but that if the only reason to do it is because there's a problem it kind of is based on the assumption that you know just in our genes we'll know how to do this yeah and mm-hmm. and I think that that's not often the case I think most of the time it's not the case yeah But a lot of the time in terms of encouraging your partner to do anything that involves group work, it might be that it has to be a really good facilitator that you found, you know, to do these things. You know, it might be... More of a um, course or something. Yeah, and finding out, like, what are the objections? Like, what are the real worries to doing something like this? Is it because you think you'll be bored or you think you'll be exposed in a way that you don't want to participate yeah, it doesn't have to be a whole lot of sharing. It can just be information is presented in a group setting, but no sharing other than within your couple dyad has to happen. Mm, yeah. Or purely sharing if you're interested. Yeah. As a way of finishing this off, because I know that if I was listening to us and there'd been these you know, comments about decreased intimacy and everything, I'd be like, are they going to talk about 
that a bit more? And is there going to be some ideas around what people should do in their couples if they are experiencing that desire differential? Yeah. So what should they do, Kat? So this, again, comes back to having conversations with each other around the changes and keeping up to date with each other, sharing with each other, you know, where you're at. So there can be ways of doing that, you know, can be just doing little kind of questionnaires and then comparing your results, like to just to open up the conversation because it can feel quite hard, like initiating that kind of conversation, like where do I start? Mm. And the partner might just say, well, just let's have sex. Like let's not just talk about it, you know. <laughs> so it, it's important to kind of work out what are some of the things that are getting in the way of that. It might be that fatigue or it is that some other stuff's coming up from you for, from the past. It could be anything, but I think the, the important things are that for knowing, for you, let's say, let's speak to the women because it'll be mainly the women probably, you know, in your community and who yeah. are listening, that most women that I've encountered, in order to feel like they feel like having sex, have got certain conditions that they need to be met. And it, so it's coming back to practically like how can I get those needs met? You know, before I'm interested in having sex, I need to feel well rested. I need to feel like my partner's being kind and interested, you know, in me. It might be that I'm up for physical touch, but I don't want certain types of sex that perhaps we've had before. You know, so being upfront about that. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's coming down again to communicating. Yeah. But also being clear with yourself and also thinking about right now, this is my world, but, and I'm so focused on my baby, but really remembering that you have a relationship. And whilst you're focused at the moment on keeping your baby alive and well, you have to keep in mind that you have a relationship and that this relationship needs to you know, go on and your attention to meeting your own needs and your partner's needs needs to be on the agenda rather than just kind of press pause. And someone once said to me, and it stuck with me, that one day your children will leave home but your relationship will still be there. So you can't just yeah. forget it for 20 years or however long your kids live with you and then pick it up again in 20 years. You're both going to be completely different people by then. So you have to give it love yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Otherwise, the relationship won't be there. Well, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks, Kat. We love having you for a chat. <laughs> Thank you. So once again, if you wanted to connect with Kat or find out more about services that she offers, we'll have all the links in the show notes. But come and chat with us about this. You know, tell us what happened to your relationship when you added a baby to the mix, if you're willing to share. And you can do that in our Juggle community on Facebook. So you'll find the links to all of those things on our website, www.thejuggle.com.au. Awesome. See you next time. Happy juggling. (laughs) 